was nine years old. I was glad that this whole thing happened because I didn't like going to church. And, uh, and so we left the church. I mean, I hated, I hated church. You know, you had to tuck your shirt in. I still, and, you, <laughs> and you had to comb your hair. I mean, you know, take a shower. You know, all that stuff. And that, those, were, those were really just, just things that I just tried to avoid all my life and, uh, at, uh, up until that point. But, you know, on top of all that, you know, I, was, I really didn't like connecting to anybody. I wasn't connected to anybody in my, in my life at all, except for my brother, my older brother. He used to like to beat me up. And, you know, when he learned martial arts, it got even bad, really bad. But, but I learned a few things. I learned how to throw them once in a while. But, uh, but when I was four years old, just kind of going back a little bit farther, when I was four years old, I ran away from home. Made it actually two miles down the road. I was actually all, all, uh, just getting ready to get on the on-ramp to a highway when uh, a friend from the church saw me and, and, and came and said, hey, you know, you want me to take you? Where are you going? And I said, I'm going to my grandmother's house in Grand Rapids. And uh, that was four hours away. <laughs> I know how to get there. I just follow this road. I'm sure it's going to get there sooner or later. And so they said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you there. Of course, they brought me to my mother's house. And I, I considered running away from home many times and uh, even started contemplating suicide when I was so about 10 years old. And, uh, you know, there were, there were just so many things in my life that, that were going wrong there, were, there, were a, there was a long list of trauma that I had gone through, um, almost drowning when I was four, when somebody, some, some bright light bulb from the uh, YMCA said, hey, you know what, I, I, this is how you tr- teach kids how to, how to swim. You just throw them in to the deep end, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they pulled me out after, I mean, I can, to this day I can remember at the age of four, thrashing around, not being able to touch anything, thinking I'm going to die. And when I was eight years old, I decided, you know, my dad, my mom and dad had not taught me how to ride a bike. Everybody else in my neighborhood, including my older siblings, knew how to ride bikes. And so I, I said, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to learn how to ride a bike. And my mother said, you can't, you can't teach yourself you got to wait for us. Well, that's, you know, I'll be 30 years old before I learn how to ride a bike. So, so one day, when the coast was clear, I, I grabbed my sister's bike. Not, the, not the, my younger sister, my, my second oldest sister. She had a banana, you know, a banana seat bike with, a, with pink frills on the sides, you know. I was going to do that. I, I took my oldest sister's bike. She had a bike that was about this tall, you know. And, uh, and it was so tall, actually, it was one of those things where you, you, when, you, when you pedal backwards, you stopped, you know, and, uh, and, and if, you didn't, if you didn't do anything, you had to keep pedaling, because it didn't, it didn't stop pedaling. You remember those? That's the, that's, that was the kind of bike. And, and I, so I learned how to get on it, but see, I, I could only touch, you know, the top pedal with my toe if I pointed my toe. And so I, I, I pushed off from a, from a little ledge, and I, and I 
pedaled and then I pedaled some more and I pedaled some more. And I'm like, hey, I'm work- it's working. It's working. And I found myself finally at the edge of a cliff. Well, it wasn't a cliff. I called it the cliff. And probably, you know, I'm, one of these days I'm going to go back and see how tall it really was. But back then, in my mind, I was, it was enormous. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? This is perfect. Because if I go down this cliff at the right speed, I don't have to pedal. I could just, I could just glide all the way home. And it would be sweet. You know, so, so I did. I went down this thing. And, and as I got about halfway down this cliff, you know, it's like a buzzsaw. It was like a buzzsaw underneath my feet. I couldn't even touch them. And, uh, and I really didn't know how to steer. And so when the turn came for my road, I, I decided, okay, there's, one, there's, there's two things that's going to happen right now. Either I'm going to turn now. I'm going to go down to the edge, the end of this road, which is way down. This is the Appalachian Mountains. So we're, we're, I'm going down this hill, and at the bottom of it, I know it tees into a highway. Oh, and, and, uh, and I thought, I'm going to die if I, go, if I pass this road. I've got to get this road. But I didn't know how to steer, so I just, I just whipped it. And, uh, and I just, the, me and the bike, you know, just mangled just bouncing all the way across the road, across the neighbor's yard, slammed into their, I remember slamming into their porch and their rose bushes. And there's an old lady on the porch right above me, sitting there having a glass of lemonade, you know. Are you all right? (laughs) And I think, I don't know if I lost consciousness or not, but, but when I got up, you know, my arm was not working. And the bike was barely working, and and I finally I kind of kind of I'm okay, <laughs> and I I got home, threw threw the bike down in the front yard and ran into the house, made sure that nobody saw me, because I was going to be in big trouble if anybody found out. So went into the bathroom, I changed my clothes, I had blood everywhere, you know, and I and I set my arm. And <laughs> wrapped it in a nice bandage, and uh, and I pretended like nothing happened. And about two weeks later, at the dinner table, one day I decided, you know, I'm going to take this ace bandage off because it's starting to, you know, starting to get warm, and they're going to start wondering why I don't, why I have long sleeves on when it's so hot. So I took the bandage off, and I'm sitting at the dinner table, and I scooch in my chair underneath, and it bang arm and I and I, I tears came to my eyes and I put it up on the table and ate my food and my dad's like why is your arm bent and uh, I said oh well I fell out of a tree <laughs> that's what happened and uh, and so they rushed me to the hospital they x-rayed it it was broken and um and the doctor said, well, you know, he hasn't complained about it. And what, it's been two weeks. So it may be actually, might be healed, you know. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bounce this reflex hammer on his arm. And if it, if it hurts, then it's not, it's, it hasn't healed yet. We're going to have to make an incision 
insert a pin in his arm, and uh, and then he, he said this in front of me, right? Okay, so <laughs> and so so when he when he got the reflex hammer out and he bounced it on my arm, I was like. It's fine. <laughs> must must be okay. And and so the rest of my life, actually, until probably ten years ago, I'm fifty years, I'm fifty one years old now. Until like ten years ago, probably, I I was always worried about breaking that arm again because I knew it never healed right. And and so I, I I dropped out of things like football and baseball. I didn't do basketball. I didn't do anything that was contact sports. I avoided it because I knew it was going to happen. And I didn't ride my bike anymore or my sister's bike, <laughs> mangled as it was. And and no matter you know when I when I got into high school, I I was in a in a game once. Uh, we 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 actually got. I was in a high school where we got to choose what sport we did each semester. And you can choose either um, things like badminton or football. Or you can do, uh, let's see, you can do either um, uh, soccer or you could do uh, tiddlywinks. <laughs> bowling. We did bowling. I did bowling and, and, and badminton and swimming and those, that's what I did because I, I wanted to avoid, I did not want to hurt myself. And one day we had a substitute teacher and, and he, he didn't know the rules. And he said, we're not going to separate anybody. We're going to put them all in the same place. We're all going to play football today. And I'm okay, I'll just be the water boy, okay? Just, anybody thirsty? Speaking of that. And, uh, and, so, and so the... The, the, the game started, I was not the water boy, I was the last picked, which was kind of normal, and, and I was, so I was the last picked, and, and we, we got into this, this game, I didn't know anything about the sport, I knew what a football looked like, I could, pull, I could find it in a crowd, and, but, I, and, but I, I, I didn't want to touch it, there was no way that I was going to touch it, because I knew that it, when you touched it, they're going to get you, <laughs> yeah. And so I, um, I, I made sure that I was on the, on the outside, you know, every, every time that the ball was, you know, was snapped and, and people were doing their thing and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, run, go, get him. <laughs> and, and at one point in time, it actually landed in my hands. I don't know how it got there. It got in my hands. And it was, it was kind of like, you know, when, you, when you're electrocuted, they say that you just kind of go like this. And that's what happened. I just... <laughs> dumb move and, <laughs> and I was surrounded and of course I didn't even know where my goal was I didn't know which, which side of the field I was supposed to go everything was my whole head was swimming and I didn't know what to do and, and, and so so I just kind of looked around and, and somebody said run and I'm <laughs> I don't know which way to go and finally one of the guys from the other team picked me up and he, and he grabbed me, and he was huge. This guy was enormous. He was a Neanderthal. And he picked me up, and he, and he like, shook me to try to get the ball out of my hands. And I, it, maybe I should just drink some of this. He tried to get, he tried to get 
the ball in my, I, I wouldn't let go. And so he, he slung me over his shoulder, and he walked down to the end, end zone and crossed the line, and everybody's cheering, yay, touchdown! And, and then, they, and then the, this substitute teacher said, no, 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 no. It's not a touchdown until the ball hits the ground. <laughs> and so, so I was, you know, when I got home that day, my, I, I went home and, and, and I told my dad, who was a, he was a um, star football player in high school. Uh, I told my dad I played football today. He said, oh, what position? I was the ball. <laughs> That's what I was. I really was. But the, see, that's, that's the kind of lifestyle that I led that I was, I was so afraid of that kind of stuff, I didn't do anything the guys did. And so I, I spent a lot of my time hiding, hiding from activities, hiding from chores, hiding from anybody. And, uh, and, and it was... It was difficult because I had a I had a speech impediment too. It's called cluttering. And I won't go into detail what it, what it is, but it's it's a, it, it was something that actually made me. I was just embarrassed to speak to anyone. I couldn't tell a joke without messing the whole thing up. I couldn't tell jokes, and so every every time I did, somebody would they'd all it, it would just kill everything as soon as I opened my mouth. So I just kept my mouth shut. All the time, and I became a ghost in school. And uh, there was at one point in time, I, during high school, when I was in my swim class, I was I was the 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 target for the dunking. You know, I, I didn't go to the deep end because I was afraid of that because I I had almost drowned when I was four. I did not go to the deep end. I did not learn how to swim. I was dunked by all the brutes that went to the, deep, the shallow end and didn't want to learn how to swim either. And then finally, the last day of swim class, the teacher, the teacher got up and he said, okay, it's time for, time for the swim test. Everybody has to swim from the shallow end to the deep end and all the way back, one at a time. And so he called each name, and when he got to Henry, my blood went cold. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying, because I didn't know how to do this. So I got in the pool, and, uh, and as I swam, you know, you have a pool that's kind of like this, that shape, right? And, uh, and, I, and I stayed on this side right here so that every time I was going to do the backstroke, and every time I swung my hand back, grabbed the edge of the pool, and I pulled myself. And then I pulled, and then I did it again. All the way, I was, it was great, man. I was scamming the teacher. Well, by the time I got to the, back to the, the beginning, the whole class was just hysterical. They were laughing so hard. Because <laughs> it was obvious what I was doing. And the teacher, he finally regained his composure. He said, Henry, get out, get out of the pool. I want you, okay, I said, okay, good. He said, I want you to go to the uh, diving board. 
and I want you to jump in. And, uh, and so I, I okay, how am I going to fix this one? So when I got to the end, I got to the diving board, and I just kind of plopped myself down, because you know there's a ledge right there on the edge, you know, I plopped myself down, I grabbed it, and I pulled myself back up again. He said, no, 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 go, to, go on the end of the diving board. And uh, so I did. I went to the end of the diving board, and I suddenly started faking that I was dying because I, I had too much water in my lungs. <laughs> and, uh, and the teacher knew what I was doing. And he said, okay, Henry, I want you to sit on the end of the diving board to the rest of the class has done their lesson. When you're ready, you jump in. But you're going to jump in. Well, the, the rest of the class, all the way H through Z, did their, did their thing, swimming right underneath me, my feet dangling from the diving board. And at the end of the class, the teacher said, you ready to jump in? I said, no. He said, okay, hit the showers. So, you know, that was, that was my life. The only time I was in the spotlight was when I was humiliated in front of the entire class. It happened many times. And, uh, you know, to, to make matters worse, I was mugged. At one point in time, I was trying to be a ghost, sitting at the edge of a, of a booth at a... At a drive-in theater and talking to some friends and some guy walks up with a gun and and he says, get on the ground! Get on the ground! You, you got anything in your pockets? And I said, no, no, I don't have anything. And then the, the teller, the lady at the booth, you know, she's like, oh, I, oh, I got stuff here. Here, let me give it to you. And and she wasn't going fast enough, so she, so she, so the guy laid his gun right on my neck and he said, you better hurry up, girl. And he held this gun on my neck. I was 13 years old. Until she finally zipped up the bag and he was able to get off. And You know, those are those the things that I went through. Uh, you know, uh, uh, other near-death experiences, all kinds of trauma going on in my life. My parents had no idea. I'd go home, act like nothing happened. They didn't ask. I didn't tell. And so when I was 16 years old, my goal in life was to, to become a hobo. I, I just wanted to get away from everything. So the, the plan was that I was going to drop out of school um, at the age of 16, after my sophomore year, I was going to drop out of school and I was going to uh, become a hobo. And, uh, and I was going to find God because I figured, you know, God probably cared. Probably did, if he exists. And, and at, at that point in time, my sister came to me. She, she goes, you know, she, I don't know what happened. We, I lost a bet or something. She said, you, you need to go to church with me on Sunday. 
You know, you've studied all these other religions and stuff, and you, don't, you, you know everything about everything else. I was a Buddhist for a month. I was a, <laughs> I was a pagan uh, for probably a year. You know, I was, I was into Druidism and spiritualism and, and all kinds of mystical stuff, uh, studying Zen Buddhism. I think I did Buddhism a little longer than a month. But Christianity, I, had, I did not want to have anything to do with because I knew what happened to my mother. And I knew that all those Christians, they were all just bad news. And, uh, and so I, I did. I went to church with my sister, and I, and I sat there in the pew, and, and I looked up, and there was, there was a crucifix on the wall, a real big, life-size crucifix right there. It's about that big, but it had an actual Jesus on there. And it was in real color. And, and, I, and I saw that, and I thought, I leaned over and I said, why do they have that in here? She said, you mean, him? You mean the cross? I said, yeah. What? Who is that? She's like, you don't know who that is? That's Jesus. I'm like, what? You mean the baby in the manger? What did he do? And she said, you don't know anything about Christianity, do you? So I went home, and my task was to find out what Christianity was. So I read this. I sat down, I read, read Genesis and Revelation and Isaiah and Psalms and Proverbs, and uh, then I got real excited about prophecy. I studied all the prophets. And then I, then I opened up the book of Mark and, and, uh, and in one day read the, no, Matthew. In one day I read the entire book of Matthew. And at the end of the day I was just in tears. This is the guy that I wanted to be. This is who I wanted to be. Because Jesus is a hobo. Just like me. You know, he didn't have any place to lay his head. And boy, I tell you what, people didn't like him for no good reason. And I wanted at that point to, to, to become a disciple and to make disciples of, of, of every person. You know, it took me a long time before the Lord got through to me because I, I still wanted to drop out of school. That was my plan. I had actually short-circuited my future. by, by Because back then they decided, and I guess they probably still do it now, I, I got to decide what classes I got to take in my junior and senior year. And my parents didn't have anything to do with it. They didn't care. Uh, they probably didn't know that they, that they had that option. So I picked dance and band and choir and current events and psychiatry or psychology. Those were my things. I, I dropped out of all the math classes and the science and the English and all that stuff. I didn't want any of that stuff. And so I studied performing arts the last two years of my school. But now I was a Christian. 
And, you know, it, it took a long time to get out of that mindset. But you, that, that was the beginning. Because, you see, one encounter with Jesus is enough. You're wondering if I was going to use this other than just a diagram. Psalm, Psalm 111, verse 10 says the beginning, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's where it started. Man, my life being turned around at that one moment. When I decided I I was going to respect and reverence this God who would send his son to die for me. And not only that, he doesn't only send his son to die for me, he sends his Holy Spirit to live in me, yes. to empower me, and to make me like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Holy cow! <laughs> I, I, maybe that's not the great, you know, it's not Hindu. But, <laughs> but that, what an amazing experience. Knowing this Jesus, you know, that transformed everything. It, it, it really did. Because you see, up until that point in time, my life was, was filled with negative self-talk. I was continually talking myself down and talking myself out of life. I didn't want to be a part of anybody's life. I didn't want to help anybody. I didn't want to help myself. I just wanted to disappear. But you see, Jesus came in and he said, man, you are valuable to me. You are so valuable to me. Not just because I died for you, but because I created something in you, in every one of you, no matter who you are, no matter what capacity you're in, no matter how old you are or young you are. God has created in you amazing features that are like him. They're patterned after him. You see it in Genesis chapter 1. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 1, and I'm, you know, I don't know how long I've got. How long do I? Nine, ten o'clock, maybe? But, uh, Genesis chapter 2 is where I'm going to be talking, but in Genesis chapter 1 is where it starts, where God says, I'm going, to cre- I'm going to create humans, male and female, in my image. You know, some people say, well, that's, oh, that's body, soul, and spirit. But you see, that's actually, that's an that's a interpretation that has been forced on, the, on, the, on that passage just, just in the past hundred years. In the past 2,000 years, Theologians have grappled over this. What does that mean? That, that we're made in God's image. But, well, it's right here in the passage. Let's go back to Ch- Genesis chapter 1. God created man in his own image in verse 27. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. So God is fruitful, right? God is. He's very creative. He's amazing. You see things like seahorses and platypuses and 
holy, holy cow, there I go again. Only guacamole. <laughs> okay, so he's, he's fruitful. Uh, to increase in number. God, God is not happy just standing still, is he? He's got to be doing something. He's got to increase in number. He wants to fill the earth. He wants to fill everything with his presence. To subdue it, which means to tame it. To take things that are unruly and, 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 and wily and, and to tame it so that it's, it's productive. And to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's what God is like. And that's what he's made us to be like. But you see, it goes, it goes further than that. In Genesis chapter 2, he says, wait a minute, there's another thing there's missing. It's, something's missing here. Even before sin showed up, there was something wrong. Because man was alone. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the first time God ever said it's not good. He said it when he, when he created Adam. And he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. In verse 18, I will make a helper suitable for him. And so that's what he did. He created Eve. He fashioned her. And he brought her to the man. See, what is the purpose? What was the purpose of creating this? It was to, create, to make humankind a social being. To create community. Relationships. To go beyond just the, just the I'm like God and I'm, I'm taking charge of this world. But also, I have relationship. So, so Eve does five things, at least five things. And here, here's what they are. I'll do it real quick. She takes away aloneness. She takes away his aloneness. And he takes away her aloneness. They do this together, by the way. And, and this is not a plug for getting married. This is a plug for being in community. We need each other. As long as you're a member of the body of Christ, that in and of itself speaks of community, right? So, so there's not, you know, when you, when you win somebody to the Lord, you can't say, well, okay, well, it's okay if you just stay home and worship the Lord on your own. I did that for two years. And you know what? That, that, that was great because, you know, God did some great things in me. But there came a time when God said, okay, enough is enough. You need to join a church. Cut your hair. <laughs> that was hard. Cut your wear, hair, wear a tie and tuck your shirt in. And oh, is that God? <laughs> I can't believe that. And, I, and, I, and that's what God told me to do. And I, I said, well, huh? And the Lord said, well, you know what? You need, to, you need to live in community. I said, okay, I'll do what you want me to do, Lord. And eventually the Lord told me, you know, it's okay. You don't have to wear your tie and to cut your hair all the time. But it was just something that I had to do because it was a way of, a way of going the next level and start, starting relationships in the body of Christ. Something that I had to do. And so 
She takes away aloneness. The second thing, she's a helper. She shares mission. She shares mission. This is something that, uh, one of the reasons I think that the church in America, especially in the last 50 years, has really dropped the ball for guys. You know, there's a lot of women in the church these days and not a whole lot of men. Why? Because men are about mission. They want to do something. They don't want to sit around and say amen and then go home. They want to, they want to get their hands dirty, helping somebody do something, right? I mean, it's not that women don't like that either, but, but you know, guys, guys are like, I'm bored with this stuff, man. Is, uh, what, you go to a classroom and then you go home, right? Well, I, I, I dropped out of school years ago. See, in a relationship, in community, a good community, a healthy community, you take away aloneness, you share mission. The next thing, next thing that you do, notice what it says here. Now, when Adam saw her, He said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And in that moment, he he changed the, the word man. It used to be Adam, now the word is ish. It has to do with his his gender. The difference between that person, that person. The difference between this person, see, now we, we, we needed to use Karen in this, so, <laughs> the, between, the difference between her and me. And, and as a result, because there's another person in my life, I, I actually am able to define myself by sharing the differences. There's differences between us, and yet we become one. So you find your identity. That's the third one. Finding your identity. That's what we do. Being a member of a body of Christ, it helps us. Helps us to understand who we are. We, we put on a new hat. I'm now a brother in Christ. I'm now a Sunday school teacher. I'm, I'm now a pastor. I'm now an evangelist. And I'm now a nursery worker or minister, a worship leader. So that's the third one. The fourth one, I just mentioned it, bringing unity. Bringing unity, making, helping people to feel like they belong to something. They... they by by having this relationship, it gives you also a reason to a reason to be here, right? There's a reason why a man will leave his mother and father, wow, you know. And that's you know if, if you if you don't make church into a place where people have a reason to be here, then you're missing the boat on what it means to live in community. When a person walks in that door, you, the whole church should jump on them. No. 
you know, what, you, what needs to happen is that you need to make them feel like, wow, I'm glad I came. And that's what Adam was saying as soon as he saw Eve. Wow, I'm glad I came. Woo! All right. And the, and the last one. How many do I get, did I give you? Did I give you five already or four? The last one is in verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There was complete acceptance. Complete acceptance. There was no shame involved in the relationship. You could be who you are. And, and nobody's going to complain about who you are. They're not going to criticize you. Now these are, these are things that that a church needs to be like. And you see, what happened with me when I, when I came to the church, finally, after two years of being a Christian, I walked into the church, and man, I was so excited because I knew that it was an open Bible church. And I, I tell you, man, I was so excited because people were raising their hands. I was doing that already for two years in my own home. Christian music on, you know, I had Keith Green and Michael O'Mardian and let's see, I don't know who else, uh, James Ward and other, or all kinds of Sandy Patty and things like that. I had all the, all that good stuff, you know, the Exaltation album. And I and you know, and and when I, when I walked into the church and people were raising their hands, oh, I was home. And I I walked in, I was raising my hands, and people were like, man, you know, how long you been a Christian? I said, well. I, Two years. It's the first church I've ever been into since then. And so they took me under their wing and they immediately, I mean immediately, they say, hey man, you got any experience in drama? We got a skit that we're doing. I said, I've had a little bit. And so they they gave me a, a, a they gave me a, a, a script and said, Hey, you you're playing the prophet Ezekiel. And I'm like, Yeah, I'd like to play a prophet. And uh and so as Ezekiel, I came into this open Bible church, and, and I performed as Ezekiel and all the people, all the kids in the cast, you know, during the rehearsals, they were all calling me Zeke because I, sometimes I goof off and I talk in a southern accent, you know, and, and, and so they called me Zeke. And so from that moment on, everybody in the church, they didn't know me from Adam, except for I have a belly button. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so, you know, everybody called me Zeke from that moment on. They thought that was my name, Zeke. And, you know, it's so cool that God changes your name, you know. In Revelation, it says that he's going to give you a new name, right? That's so awesome. And, you know, it, he did that with, with a few people in the Bible, too, you know, uh, with Israel, with Jacob, you know, you know, the, the heel grabber. He changed his name, didn't he? He said, you know, he had to, you know, dislocate his hip to do it, but he called him Israel, and he, and he took Peter aside and he said, hey man, you know, from, from now on, Simon, you're not going to be called Simon. You're going to be called Peter, the rock. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, and at this point in time in my life, God changed my name. He called me Zeke. And, and at one point in time, God, God said, you know, what, is, what does Zeke mean? I said, well, it's from Ezekiel, and you know, Lord. And, and, and he said, well, why don't you 
read Ezekiel again. So I read through it. And it, the guy was an actor. Man, he was crazy. He was the freak of all freaks of the prophets, man. This guy was nuts, you know, for Jesus and for God. You know, he, he wanted to do anything that God wanted him to do, except for, you know, the thing about the burning on the defecation, you know. But, but he, he was willing to do just about anything for God. And I'm like, yeah, God, that's what I, what I want to be. He said, God said, well, what does the name mean? Right, so I looked it up, and it means God strengthens. And he said, Mike, that's what I'm doing in you. I'm strengthening you. I'm using this body to change your scripts. All, those, all, the, that, all that garbage that you believed for so many years, that you were worthless, that you were nothing. That's garbage. Mm-hmm. Amen. And not only that, but sometimes you, you're right. Sometimes the negative stuff you say is true. But you don't, you don't look at all the good things that I say about you. You're just focusing on the negative. I'm going to change that in you, Mike. And so, so he did. And in this church where you can worship the Lord and you can learn new scripts, you can hang out with a different kind of friend who loves you as you are, who, who comes beside you and takes away your aloneness, who, who shares your mission, who does everything that, that, that a wife could do. And then eventually I found a wife who shared my mission. She was, she was part of my drama team. <laughs> taught her how to dance. She was great, man. After I taught her how to dance. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, there were so many great things that this church had done for me. And of course, the greatest was that it taught me how to worship in a corporate setting to join my heart with others in the body of Christ, you know, to close my eyes and do anything God wanted me to do. You know, and through the years, you know, before I left that church, eventually I was in another skit, another play, and I played a guy named Norman, Um, Norman J. Pitts. I was a, I was a nerd. As a play, as a musical called High Tops. We actually came to Dayton uh, back in 1987, and uh, and so I choreographed the group. You know, I was the choreogra- choreographer and and uh, and also one of the main characters. And so we we did this play and stuff. And it was like, wow, I'm ready to go into ministry. I, I was headed to Bible college. I'd quit my job. I was getting ready to move to South Carolina to take a take a position down there, and and to to go to college. And uh, and I was walking through a Christian bookstore, and there was one of those racks that said, that has all the all your name on it, you know, a little nameplate and stuff, and says what it is, what it means, and then it has a little Bible verse, you know. And I was, oh, let me check that out. And I was looking around, and Michael says it means who is like the Lord. Yeah, I like it. My name is a question. You know, it's a rhetorical question, really, is what it is. 
And so it's like, that's cool. That's really nice. I should get that, you know. And then the Lord said, wait a minute. <clears throat> Ezekiel's in here, right? And I said, yeah, there it is. The Lord strengthens. Nice. I should get that too. And he said, well, you're, now you're Norman. People are calling you Norman now, right? He said, look at what does Norman say? What does Norman mean? So I looked at Norman, and Norman says, strong. Before it was Ezekiel, the Lord strengthens. It's a promise of what he's going to do. And now you're strong. That's amazing. Incredible. So I was ready, man. And you know, God has done some amazing things since then. I don't have time to share with you some of the things that, man, there's, you know, I would love to come back next week. You already got somebody. But, <laughs> but you know, God has done amazing things. There have been so many times in my life that I have hit rock bottom. Since then, where everything seems to be falling apart, but you know what? God continually shows himself strong and he, and he brings me through and he builds more spiritual muscle in me and makes me stronger. And it's so exciting. You go from glory to glory, man. You really do. And you may be going through a time right now where you're feeling like, wow, man, I'm, I'm in that rock bottom place. Don't worry. The strengthening time, it's starting right now. There's going to be a time when you're going to get to that glory. You know, you, so wherever you stand right now, you're either in a glory or you're from a glory or you're to a glory. I mean, there's, you're, you're just in, always in transition because that's the way God works it out. He's always working in you so that you will and to act according to his good purposes. Right? As long as you stay in him, you stay attached to his ideas about who you are in Jesus. You know, it says the scripture in the psalm we started with, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you know what? That's, it doesn't stop. You want to you wanna overcome those things that are holding you back, those, those things that are telling you, that are talking you out of doing outreach, that are talking you out of going to the next level for God, that are talking you out of overcoming your sin. You need to take those thoughts captive because you know Jesus has given you that power. He has given you the power to take those thoughts captive and cast them to the curb, to throw those things down. You know, the things that, that, we, that we need as human beings, those things that, that God created in us as, as people of community, the need for companionship, the need for someone to share our mission, the need for all that stuff. It all comes from a sense of loss uh, or, or a sense of, of, of pessimism or cynicism. There, there, there's the sense that, well, I don't really care. I should just hold back. I don't belong here. I'm ashamed. 
all those things, you know what, that, this, there's a spiritual remedy for that, and that's getting in the presence of the Lord. Standing in awe of Him. And so when you do it, I mean, really, when you do it the first time, just one encounter with Jesus does it. You surrender to Him. You, you surrender to God's opinion, to God's expectations, not yours or anybody else's. You accept God's means of deliverance. That's what happens when you stand in awe of Him. You humble yourself to the point where you've got to forgive others and you receive the forgiveness and the acceptance that Jesus has for you. So, spoken enough about that, but here's the, here's the thing is we need to take it home with us. We need to use this to change the way we impact others and the way that we connect with others. It's, it's something that, that has to take place in our lives. And it's not, but it's not necessarily something that we do on our own steam. It starts in the presence of Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. It's got to be there, man. It's gotta, it's, that's where you start and that's where you stay. Because the scripture says that if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, then you will ask whatever you wish. And it'll be given to you. You will bear much fruit.